All right, so we'll say good morning. We have an incredibly exciting daf ahead of us today. We begin by thanking our sponsors, our Tamatora sponsors, for the month of ER. Yona and Shashi Ehrenfeld for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Drashos this month. Lezech and Nishmas, Yona's grandfather, Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron, and Mark Karstad in memory of his mother, Chana Bas Shragai. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, the Nishamas will have an Aliyah and the families in Nechama. We thank our Week of Learning sponsors, the Kiwi family. In honor of every, all the men who attended the Shiva Minyanim for Mr. Kiwi's Yechon of the Bracha, Ari and Shoshana Lerner, in honor of the Bas Mitzvah of Yosef Chaim. Sorry? What did I say? Oh, I said, I'm sorry. In honor of, of, of the Bar Mitzvah of Yosef Chaim being celebrated in Mirza Hashem, Bishat Tov Matzlachas, this coming Shabbos, and the Shul in commemoration of the Archite of Rabbi Gavantman. Rav Chaim Friedel Ben Rabbi Yitzchak Dov. We thank our Daf Yomi sponsors, Rabbi Aaron and Janice Schwartzbaum, in commemoration of the art site of Janice's mother, Fega Bas Shmuel, and Chaim and Rachel Rabinstein, in commemoration of the art site of Chaim's grandmother, Frantchen Bas Yaakov Zichron Levracha. We hope that on the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamas will have an Aliyah, and the families in Nechama. And with that, let us begin. So let's let's start again from the Mishnah on Yud Ches Amud Aleph. We, we've read the first couple of lines, but let's begin again. Again, the good news is we're not finished with the Beis Hamikdash yet. There's more to do in the Beis Hamikdash, but we're we're transitioning back a little bit to the Kohen Gadol. So says the Mishnah, Masru lo bezdim. So remember again, as part of his education process during the seven days of sequestering, here he's given. Zikinim, some of the elders from Beisdin. So also we're going to see as we go on in this discussion that there's almost like two parts to the Kohen Gadol's education. The Kohen Gadol is sometimes educated by other Kohanim and sometimes he's educated by members of the Sanhedrin. There's this interesting split in the teachers he has over that day. So So they went ahead and they gave over to him some of the elders of the Beisdin. And what would they do? The core and the fun of the Seder Hayom. They would go ahead and teach him regarding the Seder Hayom. Literally, again, the Seder, the sacrificial order of Yom Kippur. So what would they go through with him? Essentially, Parshas Achremos. So they would go through with him the entirety of Parshas Achremos and just go through the Avod. They would say to him, We want you to read the Pesukim. Maybe you forgot Parshas Achremos. Or maybe you never learned Pasha Sachimos. Well, so this is actually very profound. Just just from a from a learning from a learning perspective, the idea that they they made the Kohen Gadol actually recite the Psukim. Because it can, we know from an effort, from a from a retention level, when you speak something out, there's right that that's from for most of us, that's how right, when you scan something with your eyes. Your ability to retain is much less than when you actively speak something out. That's why even when learning, right, there's a concept that when learning, one should go ahead and learn out loud. Right? Sometimes the things that you articulate with your lips are the very things which enter into your heart. So they don't just tell, here, here's a parashas vayikra, chumash vayikra, you know, read parashas achremos, read it, read it. Maybe you, learned, maybe you forgot it, or maybe you never learned it. Erev Yom Kippurim, on Erev Yom Kippur, so shachris, in the morning, ma'amidin osa b'shar mizrach, they position the coin by the eastern gate, u'ma'avirin l'fan of parim, Ve'ilim ukvasim. And they go ahead and literally they bring before him parim, 
oxen, elim, rams, kvasim, sheep, that I will say, remember, the whole idea over here is that Yom Kippur, remember, Yom Kippur, the Avodah has to be done by the Kohen Gadol. And not only that, but it's got to move. There's a lot to do and not, excuse me, and not a lot of time. So to whatever degree they could familiarize the Kohen Gadol with the Avodah, they try to do so. So the first part is we teach them the steps as they are, as they are laid out in the Chumash. Step number two, we familiarize him with the different animals and the different types of karbanos. Kol shivas hayamim, all seven days of his sequestering. Lo hayamonin mimeno ma'chalu All seven days, whatever the Kohen Gadol wanted to eat, he would eat. Erev yom kippurim mechashecha. However, erev yom kippur, as it was becoming dark, meaning yom kippur, yom kippur night, already, but already erev yom kippur before nightfall. Lo hayumanichin also lechol harbe. So we'll say so again. Obviously, not not yom kippur night. Meaning erev yom kippur by the suda mafsekes. Already by the evening, they really would they would only allow him to eat very little. Mitnei shamaycha maybe esashena because eating brings to sleeping. So we'll say. Remember again, the primary concern over here is that we don't want the Kohen Gadol to experience a seminal emission on the night of Yom Kippur. Because if he experiences seminal emission, then what? Then what? As much as that's Tomakala, remember again, what's the remedy for a seminal emission? Right? Mikvah and Herav Shemesh. So remember again, you're out. You're out. In other words, once, once that occurs on the night of Yom Kippur, the first time he becomes potentially ready to do Avodah will be Matzah Yom Kippur. So obviously that doesn't help. So the goal, therefore, is we keep him up. We keep him up all night. And again, part of the way we keep him up is we don't allow him to eat a lot. Because when you eat a lot, you go ahead and say, is, is, this, is often, <laughs> this is often the interesting dynamic of, of, um, of Kol Nidre. As Rosh says, so Kol Nidre... One, one of the holiest times, times of the year, and yet people come into shul, especially when it comes time for the drasha, and what happens? What happens? No one here knows, but I'm saying maybe you have a friend. Mamish, it's the most, it's the most serene time of the year. Everybody looks so peaceful, right? They're, they're bobbing and they're laying, and because <laughs> you just had a big meal, right? You just had a big meal. So again, it's, it's, so the, 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 this is not a new dynamic. So they feed the Kohen Gadol very little, in order that he would remain awake the entire night. Good. I will say that's the Mishnah. Says the Gemara. Bishlama Shamashacha. So I will say the Gemara is intrigued by this idea that the Zikanim would go ahead and teach the Kohen Gadol the section from Achremos. Right? That's what they would do, which was the Avoda of Yom Kippur. So the Gemara says, why would they teach him the Avoda of Achremos? They said in Kohen Gadol, maybe you forgot or maybe you never learned. Maybe you never learn. So it says the Gemara, Bishlam Hashem Okay, I understand the Kohen Gadol could forget. In other words, maybe this is his first year as Kohen Gadol. He's never, he's never done this before. So of course he learned Pachas Achimos, but, but he forgot what the Avod is. He needs a refresher course. El Shema Lo Lamad? But is it possible that we're dealing with a Kohen Gadol who never learned the Avod of Yom Kippur? We'll say, everybody knows the Avodah of Yom Kippur. We just did Shtaymik Revecha Targum last week or two weeks ago. Right? Of course, you know the, the Avodah, the Avodah, for, the avodah for, for Yom Kippur. It's, it's Psukim in Chumish. Would you ever have a Kohen Gadol like this who doesn't know Chumish? I was going to say, the, the Gemara is outraged by this idea that somebody could forget and needs a refresher course. That, of course... But to say to the Kohen Gadol, maybe you never learned this before. Maybe you never learned this before. It means maybe you never learned Parshas Achremos. 
Is that possible for the coin Godel? After all, the Gemara says, Vatanya, we learned, Vakoin Hagodel Me'echov. So we'll say the Pasik says, when referring to the coin Godel, it calls him the coin who is written out. Interestingly enough, there are two ways you can read this Pasik. The coin Godel Me'echov means the coin who is greater than his brothers. Then is greater than his brothers. So the Gemara directions, what does that teach us? Shegodl me'echav, he must be greater than his Kohanic brethren. Bekoach, physical strength. Benoi, physical beauty. Bechachma, wisdom. Ba'osher, with wealth. So right, that's what it means. He must be, quote unquote, greater than his brothers in all of these areas. Achirim Omer, others say, Minayim Shim Einlo, She'echav HaKohanim Megalino. So, both say, what happens if the coin possesses Alamaylus, except he's not the wealthiest? He's not the wealthiest. So, Hadim Abosa, this is incredible. How do we know that if he's not the wealthiest, but he's, he's, but he's the guy, he's the one who's fit for the position, that the other Kohanim give him money in order to make him the wealthiest. Rosa, isn't that incredible? So you find the individual who possesses the right character traits for the job, but he doesn't have the wealth. So what do we do? So say, wealth is the one thing, right? You can't really make someone smart, and you can't really go ahead and make someone handsome, but you can make someone wealthy. So how do we know that if he possesses all the other milas, but he doesn't have wealth, that we make him wealthy? So both say, this is incredible. The Gemara says, The Pasuk says, the Kohen, now this, this is a different reading. How is the Gemara reading it now? Kohen HaGadol Me'echav means the Kohen who is greater because of his brother. So I will say two different ways to read it. Cohen who is greater than his brothers, which teaches us the coin has to be greater in all these areas, and the coin who is greater because of his brothers, which teaches us that if he doesn't possess the wealth, that they should give him the wealth in order to make him greater. Pretty incredible. The Gemara says, God leyu, Misha Achab. So why is the Gemara quoting this? Because the, one, of the, one of the prerequisites of being the coin Gadol is that he has to be Gadol B'chachma. Gadol B'chachma. He has to be wiser than the rest of the Kohanim. So how could it be that Halacha they're saying to him what? They're saying to him, maybe you never learned Chumash, right? Maybe you never learned Parshas Achremos. Maybe you, nev- maybe you never learned the Avoda. So ultimately, again, we're going to teach it to you. So we'll say, just before we go on, I'll tell you something interesting about this. This last drush of your Koina Gadol Me'echav. So interestingly enough, the Gemara goes ahead and uses it dafka in the form of wealth. In other words, if the coin Gadol doesn't have wealth, Kohen HaGadol Me'echav, make him wealthy from his brethren. So we'll say you could apply it to wisdom also. You know, we'll say that, that sometimes, again, if somebody is intellectually impoverished, if somebody is knowledge impoverished, that Kohen HaGadol Me'echav, that sometimes, again, you have the ability to not just share your wealth and not just share your material resources with someone, but ultimately, again, to be able to share of your knowledge as well. So the Gemara says, over here, what's going on? So how could it be that the Kohen Gadol doesn't know Chumash? Says the Gemara, not a problem. I mean, it's a problem, but not, not, not a question. Wow. We'll say it's referring to two different times historically. One is referring ultimately again to Mikdash Rishon. One is Mikdash Sheni. In this first temple era, second temple era. Rashi says, Mikdash Rishon, In the first temple era, only righteous Kohanim Gidolim were appointed. In the second temple era, so we already saw this before, right? The Gemara contrasted. The ridiculous number of Kohanim Gidolim in the Second Temple era 
versus the first temple era, because as we'll see in the second temple era, often the position was bought. Because it was bought. So yes, you, you had many times, unfortunately, where there were ignorant individuals occupying the office of the Kohen Gadol. And therefore, again, the Zikne Basin literally had to say, Maybe you never learned this before. Maybe, maybe you just never saw this before. So we'll go over with you the Pasuk in Chumash. The Yimar tells a story. Malka. So we'll listen to this story. Marta Bas Baitos. Now Rashi says over here, she was an Almona Ashira. She was a very wealthy widow. The Kidsha Yoshua Ben Gamla. She became betrothed. She was going to marry to Yoshua Ben Gamla. So this Kala, why, what, what did this woman want to do? She wanted to give a nice wedding present to her husband. So what did, what, what's the, what, what, did, what did she buy? What did she buy for him? What did she buy for him? She bought for him the Kahuna Gidola. Right? That's what she bought for him. It's the gift that keeps on giving, right? Right? She bought from the Kuna Now, again, Yoshua Ben Gamla was a kind of say, I just want to point out, we're going to learn about Yoshua Ben Gamla. Yoshua Ben Gamla was actually a righteous man. This is the incredible part. He actually was a righteous man and a good Kohen Gadol. But amazingly enough, the position was bought for him by his Kala from Yanai Malkin. So we're going to see also Yanai. Yanai, remember this, we'll get into this, we'll get into all of this. Yanai was one of the Hashmonai kings. So remember again, I mentioned this many times before, in the aftermath of the Hanukkah story, so the Hashmonai or Kohanim also seized the monarchy. They seized the monarchy. So in general, remember there's a split in, in Judaism between Yehuda and Levi, right? Yehuda is the monarchy, Levi is Kahuna, Hashmonaim, Levi, Kohanim took everything. Good thing, bad thing is a machlokas, but in any event, there's no question that unfortunately the Hasmonean kins kind of descended into a little bit of a, a little bit of corruption. So she bought. So Marta Basbaitos, who was this wealthy widow, was engaged to Yoshua Ben Gamlo, and goes ahead and buys for him the Kahuna Gidola as a present and gives it to him. And she bought it again for a lot of money. Tarkavod de dinari. So Rashi says over here, saat shreikav. A lot of gold. A lot of gold. So the Gemara says, Adotun gamla, kani So the Gemara is giving this as an example as what was happening during the Second Temple era. The Kunagidala was bought, and therefore, yes, unfortunately, you had many times there were ignorant individuals who occupied the office, and therefore the Zakanim sometimes would have to say, maybe you've never learned this halacha. And therefore, they have to teach him, they have to teach him and passing in Chumash. Says the Gemara, every Yom Kippur Meshachar. You're supposed to remember again, in the morning, in the morning, in the morning of every Yom Kippur, what would they do? The Mishnah said they would put the coin by the eastern gate and they would pass before him all the different types of animals, right? So remember again, the Mishnah said, Parim Elim Kivasim, right? So oxen, rams, or goats, and sheep. And sheep, says the Gemara, Tana Af Hasi'irim. So the Gemara says, really the Seirim are the goats. So the Gemara says, they would also pass by him Seirim, goats. Goats. They're both said, we know this him. there are three Seirim offered up over the course of Yom Kippur. Of course, the two most famous Seirim that, Seirim that we know are what? The Seir La Hashem, the Seir La Zazal, right? That's when the Kohen draws lots. One is offered up as a carbon. One is pushed off the cliff. So the Gemara says, Tana Didan, my time alone, Tana Seirim. So it is incredible. Why doesn't the Mishnah mention Seirim? It's strange, no? The, remember, the Mishnah mentions Parim Elim Kvasim. Why not mention Seirim? Why? It's strange that you would leave that out. It wasn't this incredible. Kevan Da'achit Kasu Chal Shadaite. Because you also remember again, the Seirim were sin offerings. Since the Seirim were sin offerings, 
So the the zikne based and were nervous that if the kohanim would see if the kohen gadol would see the animal which represents sin offerings on erev yom kippur, there would be a chalishas hadas. He would be sad. He would be sad. They both say it's more than sad. What we're worried about over here is kind of like instilling fear, right? The kohen gadol is supposed to be the representative of klal yisrael ultimately again on this holiest of days, and the kohen gadol also knows that his success is not just dependent on his own personal worth or merit, but also dependent on the worth or merit of klal yisrael. So if we go ahead and we bring the seirim on erev yom kippur and pass them before him, which reminds him of the guilt or the sin of the sins of klal yisrael. There might be a chalisho sadas, it might weaken his optimism, it might weaken his resolve, it might go ahead and engender a sense of sadness. Therefore, we leave out the seirim. To which we ask one second. We'll say the par is also a sin offering. So if you're worried about the fact that he's going to see sin offerings, and there's going to be a chalisho sadas, a weakening of resolve, so maybe you shouldn't bring the par in front of him as well. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 listen to us, this is incredible. Par, kevan da'alava al-echav ha-kohanim hudaasi. say the par, remember, was a sin offering. Brought for who? For the coin gadol and for his fellow kohanim. That was a unique sin offering for the kohanim. So listen to this. The Gemara says, kevan da'alava al-echav ha-kohanim hudaasi. Be'echav ha-kohanim this is incredible. Apparently, the Kohanim were a close-knit community. So, this, so the Gemara says like this, if there was a Kohen who committed an Avera, the Kohen Gadol would know about it. <laughs> Can you imagine this? If there was a Kohen who committed an Avera, the Kohen Gadol would know about it. And what? Because he would know about it, he would make sure that Kohen did Tshuva before before Yom Kippur. So therefore, is, is, isn't that absolutely incredible? So the Gemara says, yada. But obviously that was only the tight-knit community of Kohanim. Or the Kohen Gadol. So if one of, his, one of his brethren came in an Avera, everybody would know, and they would be, or the Kohen Gadol would know, and he would encourage that coin to do tshuva. Of course, you can't say that about Klal Yisrael. And therefore, again, so the par, which represents the sins of the Kohanim, that didn't create a weakening of resolve, a chalishos hadas on the part of the coin. Because again, if you would know about a coin who committed an Avera, he would pull the guy to the side, put his arm around him like an Aaron a coin, give him a talk, build him up, and help inspire him to do tshuva. But he can't do the same for all of Klav Yisrael. So the Gemara says, Ravin, Ravina says, Hainu darmi inshi, this is what people, this is the meaning of the expression, I bar da'ilo, if your brother, or the brother, literally the son of your sister, I should say, if the son of your sister, in other words, your family member, is a daidlo, Rashi says, of your shota hamelech, a police officer, right? If your if your if your if your mishpacha is a police officer, so the gemara says, chazi b'shuka kamelo sachlit. If you see him walking in the marketplace, run the other way. Which we'll say means what? In other words, if your if your brother, right, if your cousin or whoever your family member is a police officer. That means they probably know what's going on in your life, right? And if they know what's going on in your life and you've done something wrong and they have a power over you, if you see them in the shuk, better to go the other direction. So we'll say, I happen to think this, this Gemara is such a profound yisod, right? That the Kohanim were such a tight-knit community that if the Kohen Gadol knew that there was another Kohen who had done something wrong, he would talk to him about it. He would talk to him about it and encourage him to do tshuva, which I will say tells you about the power of being part of some type of close-knit chevra, some type of chabura, where ultimately, again, 
if you do something wrong or you're struggling with something, you have friends who could be mezares you, right? You have people who could help you along that path, right? No person could really be successful in life all by themselves and no person is without struggle. That's why you have to surround yourself with the right kind of people who when you struggle, which we all do, they will give you the chizik to get back on track. You know, the Piagetzna speaks about this. When he speaks about Chabura, a Chabura of Bnei Aliyah, a Bnei Aliyah Chabura, a Bnei Aliyah Chabura essentially is like a spiritual support group, right? And instead, it's a small group. He encouraged his Talmidim to form this small groups of people where they're honest with each other about what they're struggling with, not, not confession, you know, not, not going and saying, oh, I did this, I did this, but like speaking about the real struggles in life, because we, we do, we have real struggles, and most of us don't really have people that we want to really be open and honest about our struggles. So the Piazetzin encouraged his Talmidim to form these Chaburas B'nai Aliyah, where people would be open about their struggles, and again, first of all, when you hear other people going through the same struggles that you are, different struggles that you are, and you give each other chizik, that's ultimately, again, how people get, so that isn't incredible. So I'm jealous of the Kohanim. The Kohanim had this. This, this was the community of Kohanim. They were a chabura, chaburas b'nei aliyah. And that when someone did something wrong, ultimately, again, there was chizik from within the group to be able to get back on track. Absolutely incredible. Remember, again, the Mishnah said, all seven days of sequestering, Whatever the Kohen Gadol wanted to eat, he could eat, right? The only time there were restrictions on his diet was really through the Mavsekis, right? Before the start of Yom Kippur, then they would diminish, they would change his diet in order that he would, or they would just not give him a lot to eat, in order that he wouldn't become sleepy. So the Imar says, Tanya, Rabbi Yehuda ben Nekusa Omer, Rabbi Yehuda ben Nekusa says as follows, Ma'achilin oso salasos ubeitzin. The Bosa is incredible. On Erev Yom Kippur, they would dafka feed him. The Bosa says, Salasos is, is fine flour and beitzin and eggs. Why? Kadele masmaso. Now, Bosa, Kadele masmaso literally means to go ahead and loosen him. Rashi says over here, First wide line, Machilin also, Erevium Kipurim Shakris, Slosos Ubezim, Kedela Masmis, Achilashebemea, Lashal Shalo, Shlaisach, and a couple of Machra. Suppose it is incredible. So the Rabbi Yudaben Kusa says that on Erevium Kipper, they would dafka give him fine flour and eggs, which apparently loosens the bowels. They wanted him to have a full body cleanse. Right? Why? Because on Yom Kippur itself, they did not want him having to use the bathroom. Because you also remember again, Yom Kippur, we'll, we'll get into this, but it's a well-oiled machine. And the Kohen Gadol has to do everything. Has to do everything. And the truth is, we don't want bathroom breaks on, on Yom Kippur. So they would dafka feed him food to have a full body cleanse. And this way, again, he would not have to use the bathroom over the course of Yom Kippur. Amrulo. Here's the problem, says the Gemara. Here's the problem. These foods, fine flour and eggs, Rashi says over shall carry So apparently, again, the Gemara says fine flour and eggs actually cause a person to have a seminal emission. So the Gemara, obviously not directly, but the Gemara is saying these are foods which apparently, means it increases body temperature, and apparently, again, increasing body temperature was, was related to a seminal emission. So the Gemara says, you don't want to give the Kohanim this food. I mean, it might, it might work out the full body cleanse, but it's going to potentially lead to another repercussion which could totally invalidate the Kohen Gadol for the Avodah of Yom Kippur. Tanya, so let's analyze this. Sumchos Omer Mishum Rav Meir, Eim Ma'achilin Oso Lo Abi. 
So we'll say we're going to see this is a mnemonic. We don't feed him abi. That stands for three foods, which we'll see in just a moment. lo avavi. Others say we don't we don't, we don't feed him avavi. Veish omrim af lo yayin lavan. Others say we don't even give him white wine to drink. So we'll say what's avi avavi lo avi lo esrug. We don't allow him to eat esrog, we don't allow him to eat eggs, and we don't allow him to drink aged wine. So we'll say again, the idea over here is these are foods which increase body temperature. The Gemara calls it chimum, chimum, right? Internal heat, which ultimately could lead to a seminal emission. The Amri, what does Avavi stand for? We'll say Avavi adds same things. Esrog baits him, but adds in there basar shamin, fatty meat, velo yayin yashan, and not, and not aged wine. Vish omrim, af lo yayin lavan. Others say also not white wine. Mipne shayayin, shayayin lavan, maybe esadadadun li Because white wine, and also, interesting by the way, it's also fascinating to point out that at least in, in Talmudic times, white wine was never aged. Right? Only red wine was aged, white wine wasn't aged. But the Gemara says also, white wine, white wine also could lead a person to a seminal emission, therefore we avoid white wine as well. So the Gemara says, Tanra Abonon Zav. So we'll say, so just while we're talking about foods, which could potentially lead to an emission, the Gemara just goes on a quick detour over here, it's a short detour, to Zav. So remember again, Zav is a man who has an emission, it's not a seminal emission, it's some other type of emission. But listen to this. Zav. So let's remember again, quick halachas of Zav. Remember, a Zav, a man has one emission. What's talacha? So again, he just has to observe one day of Tara. Two emissions, two emissions, Shivanikim. Ultimately, again, seven clean days. Three emissions, seven clean days plus a carbon. That's the basic halachas of Zav. So it says the Gemara. Now, both sides. Now, all of that. Well, let's see. So Zav. Okay, one more. So we'll say one more thing. So Zav, Zav. If, however, you could be tola the re'i on something else. In other words, let's say we know that something external caused the emission. That doesn't count as Zav. That doesn't count as Zav. So the Gemara says as follows. So Zav. So we'll say the Gemara says, when it comes to a Zav, look at Rashi for just a moment, Zav, if a Zav eats a lot of whatever, whatever the food item is, so the Gemara says, So we'll say, if a person overate, person overate, and then had an emission, a Zav emission, we attribute that emission to the overeating, and we don't count that as a real Zav emission. Neither for counting towards Shiv and Akim, nor ultimately, again, for carbonic purposes. Dixiv, Bissaro, for the Machmas on So. Because we'll say the Pasuk, ultimately, again, by Zav, says Zav Bissaro, that it emanates from his flesh, and not from some type of external stimulus. So when it comes to Zav, it's very interesting, when it comes to Zav, the only time that a man becomes Tommy Alt Zav is when we feel that the emission was, we'll call it, generated internally. But if Halacha we attribute the Zivos to some type of external siba, some type of external reason, or a stimulus, we'll call it, then at the end of the day, that does not create a Zav situation. So the Gemara gives examples of this. So turn on Zav, ton lo b'machol, v'chom in the machol, so if a Zav overate, and then had an emission, 
we attribute that emission to the act of overeating. And, and whatever, whatever, whatever food, it doesn't matter what kind of food, apparently the act of overindulgence ultimately, again, could lead to this type of emission. So we don't give a zav to eat. Furthermore, again, once a person has had an emission, we try to prevent them from eating certain foods which could go ahead and create another emission. So what are those foods? Chagbi and Gava. What are these? Lo Chagbi. What's Chagbi? Lo Chalav, Velo Gvina, Velo Beitza. Not milk, not cheese, not eggs. Velo Yayin, and not wine. Velo Gabam. Furthermore, not Gabam either. May grease and shell pool. So we'll say this is pounding when you're in, you pound lentils, the juice that comes out of the lentils. Ubas or Shamein, or fatty meat, or Morias. Right? We'll say Morias is like uh, fish fats or fish innards. And we also have the Zav avoid any other foods which could lead to which could lead to an emission. What does that come to include? It comes to include the following. There are five things, five types of food or five items that can bring a person to an emission. What are these items? Hashum. What's that? Shum is garlic. Hashchalayim. Shchalayim is cress. Chalag lugos is purslane. Beitzim, eggs, bagargir. Let's say gargir, we actually saw this back in Brachas. Gargir is the rocket plant. It's called the rocket plant. So the Gemara said, V'yetze echad al-asad al-akit oros. So we'll say the Gemara, we're quotes a Pasuk from Melachim Beis. And someone went out to the field to gather oros. Oros. I both say oros literally means what? It means light. So, what, what is Oros? Oros refers to the rocket plant. By the way, why is the rocket plant called Oros? Ultimately, again, apparently it's very helpful for eyesight. Therefore, if one finds a Gargir plant, if you could eat it, eat it, because it's good for eyesight. And if not, if not, you can go ahead and what? You can put the rocket plant over your eyes. Over your eyes, right? They both say, yes. So again, apparently the act of going ahead and the act of going ahead and just actually passing the plant over your eyes itself is in and of itself incredibly helpful for one's eyesight. Incredible. So the Gemara says as follows, Amra Papa, but this is not any kind of rocket plant. It's Dafka. What? Amra Papa, Bigargira Mitsarana. So this is Dafka rocket plant that grows, we'll say Mitzar is a border. It's Dafka rocket plant that grows on the border of a field. Now what's the chap with that? So we'll say look at Rashi. Mitzar, that's the first, first line of Rashi on top. Hagadol al ha-mitzar she'in sevivosav zera, I'm sorry, she'in sevivosav zera achashachish koko. So we'll say generally, generally on the, on the border of a field, you're not really planting plants. You don't plant vegetation on the borders, right? You plant vegetation kind of in the middle of the field. So the idea of Yerabot says as follows. 
that if you plant the rocket plant on the borders, there are no other plants. You know, in general, when you plant when you plant crops or plants in close proximity to each other, so what happens? They compete for soil nourishment. But if you're going ahead and planting it at the border, there are no other plants competing with for nur- soil nourishment. And therefore, again, this is a this is a strong rocket plant. So again, the rocket plant is good for eyesight. The gargier is good for eyesight. If you can eat it, great. If you can't eat it, it's okay. If you can even pass it over your eyes, it's good. And Dafka, look for edge of the field rocket plant. Incredible. Says the Gemara. Amrav Gidel Amrav. So we'll say now. We'll say so. Just understand the flow of this. The, the flow of this conversation is, remember again, we begin by talking about foods that we don't want the Kohen Gadol to eat on Erev Yom Kippur, right? That's, that's how the conversation starts. We don't want the Kohen Gadol eating certain things on Erev Yom Kippur because again, it's going to lead to two possibilities. Number one, to sleep, and number two, to potential Hotzah Zerah, to potential seminal emission. We then segue into a discussion regarding Zav, Right, regarding Zav, and the idea because Zav is only problematic if Halach Lamaisa, he has a seminal emission that's not related to external stimuli. But there are certain foods which we know could bring on an emission, therefore, we're going to prevent the Zav from eating those foods so he doesn't get himself into, into more Zav issues. Now, Rabbi said the Gemara is segueing into a third application of this. Amrav Gidal Amrav, If you are a guest at someone's house, you should not eat eggs. Why shouldn't you eat eggs? So what did we just say about eggs before? Right? Rashi says over here, Lo yocha lide keri, So we'll say, what's the concern? If you're a guest in someone's home, right? And a person has a seminal emission. And again, if, if the host, the host when cleaning up after you sees that there's a, it, it leads to a certain, it, learns, it leads to a certain diminution in the way that that person looks at you. So the Gemara therefore says, we'll say this, this is, what the Gemara is really trying to highlight over here is a certain level of, of tznius that a person is supposed to exhibit when, when being in someone else's home. So don't eat eggs, so it doesn't come to a sound notion. Below Yishon, bitaliso shabalabayis. The Gemara says, this is interesting. The Gemara says, and when going to sleep, don't use the talis of the balabayis, right? Don't use the cloak of the balabayas as your cover, says Rashi over here, that the balabayas uses by day, once again, the concern is if you're sleeping in it and it has a, and you have a seminal emission, ultimately, again, the host will see that by day. So again, I will say these are just ideas about how a person has to maintain a certain level of personal purity when, when, when staying by someone else. So the Gemara says as follows, Rav, this is actually incredible Gemara. So Rav, when he would go to Darshish, he would go to Darshish, which was a place, Machris, he would announce the following, Man Havya Lioma, who wants to be my wife for the day? And we'll say now, whoa, what, what is going on over here? So we'll say, look at Rashi, this is actually pretty incredible. Man Havya Lioma, Yesh Isha, Shetinasi Lilioma. Is there a woman here who wants to marry me for the day? Shes Akif Khan, Akramikan, but only for today. Only for today. So what's going on over here? We'll explain in just a moment. Rav Nachman Kad When Rav Nachman would go to the city of Shchensiv, Machriz, Man Havla who wants to be my wife for today? So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, what's going on over here? Vatanya, Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov Omer, Lo Yisa Adam Isha ben Medina Zu. So we'll say, so the Gemara gives a good piece of advice. 
a man should not have a woman in one country and then go and marry a wife in another country. It's a solid advice, I will say this. You can take this to the bank. And they'll say, so again, man should not have multiple wives in multiple countries. Now, we'll say, remember again, there's no issue of polygamy, right? Because remember, Midaraisa, you can marry more than one wife. So why shouldn't you do this? Gemara gives a very practical reason. So the Gemara says, Shema Yizdav because I will say, what's the problem? The problem is if you have multiple wives in multiple countries, Bipashtus, no one knows each other. And what's going to happen? Maybe the children from one union will end up marrying the children from a different union and they won't even know each other. I will say, this is what's called Shema Yisa Achachoso, literally translated, maybe a brother and sister are going to marry each other. So again, it's just a practical piece of advice, not an Isra. There's no Isra over here, but just a practical piece of advice to avoid people who are not permitted to marry each other. Remember, say, I want to point out something, you know, you see every once in a while, these articles that come out regarding these people who like um, do these uh, ancestry tests, you know, and like it's it's incredible, you know, because even today with modern technology and modern communication, people often don't know what happened in their mishpachas a generation or two generations. where communication is obviously not what it is today. So a man has multiple wives in multiple countries. It's a recipe for disaster. Well, it's a recipe for disaster on a variety of levels. But the gemara says over here the concern is one of of incest or for well, incest is forbidden marriage between relatives. So the Gemara says, and a person could end up filling the world with mamzerim. No one wants to be responsible for that. And about this, the Pasuk says, the world will be filled with immorality. So we'll say, so therefore again, the Gemara says, so let's, let's take a step back over here. Let's take a step back. What, what is happening over here when, 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 um, when Rav Nachman would come to Shechensev, would Rav, would Rav would come to Darshish, what's going on over here when they say, who wants to be my wife for the day? So we'll say, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and kind of fill out the framework over here a little bit. But remember, just contextually, right? The, what's the topic of the Gemara? The topic of the Gemara is about the need to preserve a level of we'll call it spiritual purity and modesty when being away from home. So what we're going to see over here is what's happening is that when these Rabbanim Rav and who was it? Uh, Rav Nachman who wants to be my for the day what they were concerned about was falling prey to immorality when they were away from home. That, that was the concern over here. Being subject to morality. So what they're looking... Now, it's not clear exactly what they're looking to accomplish. Because remember, they're obviously not in the market for a long-term relationship. Because at the end of the day, they're asking once to marry me for a day. So what exactly is it that they were looking for? Were they actually looking for a physical relationship? Or were they looking for something else? We'll see in just a moment. But I will say, but again, it, it, I just want to point out how incredible this is. That Rav and Rav Nachman, who were great people, understood that the lure of immorality, especially, especially when you are away from home, especially when you're traveling by yourself, is so incredibly profound that a person has to take proactive steps in order to save themselves from getting themselves into trouble. So we'll say, so let, but let's, let's, we, we're not, it's not quite clear what they're trying to accomplish. So let, let's, let's fill out the framework. So the Gemara says, one second. 
The Gemara says, So we'll say, so first of all, number one, how do you run into the problem of Rav and Rav Nachman having multiple wives in multiple places and ultimately potentially filling the world with Mamzerim? Right? Unintentionally. How do you deal with that? To which Gemara says, this is not a difference. Amri, Rab, Amri, Rabbanon, Kala Islu. So say, the only concern about a man having a wife in this country and a wife in that country and having children with both of them and children ultimately marrying each other is when the guy is a regular guy. But Rav and Rav Nachman were Rabbanim. Rabbanim have a reputation. And so again, the children would know to identify as the children of Rav Nachman or the children of Rav. See, even if they did father children in multiple countries, there's no concern that those children would go ahead and end up marrying each other because they know definitively who their father, who their father is. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, And therefore their name, their name is attached to their children. So there's no, the concern of Shema Yisa'ach Achoso is when, is when, when, the, when, when the, sometimes the paternity itself is not as known. But when the paternity is known, especially when your father is famous, there's no concern that, that siblings may come to marry each other. Simar says there's another problem. There's a fascinating halacha, which is codified in Shulchan Aruch, called Dam Chimud. Dam Chimud means that if a man asks a woman to marry him, and she says yes, there's a concern that out of her excitement and out of her desire, she may bleed. So it's called in halacha dam chimut. We saw it, it's sugya and meseches nida. That's what I both say. If a man says to a woman, let's get married, and she says yes, they can't go to the chuppah that day. There's a minimum waiting period of seven days. Seven days. So I don't understand. So Rav Rav Nachman, you're rolling into town. You say, who wants to be my wife for the day? Right? And, 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 and Rachel says, yes, I'll, I'll do it. That's fine, even if she says yes today, you still have to wait seven days, right? You can't get married for seven days. To which the says, No, no, Rav and Rav Nachman, when they were traveling to these particular cities, they knew they were coming. They would send a shaliach seven days ahead, right? And they would go ahead and put out for Avram Nachman are looking for a wife for one day, right? So who wants to, right? Who, who, who would like to be the wife of Avram Nachman for one day? And again, they would do this seven days ahead so that by the time ultimately Avram Nachman would come to town, they would be permitted to be married. So the Gemara says, well, we still have other problems. Well, so to which the Gemara says, maybe we're really misunderstanding this entire thing. And maybe what's actually happening is as follows. That halacha lemaisa, there wasn't really a marriage that was actually happening over here. Rather, what was happening, so to speak, someone was being designated. That if Rav or Rav Nachman wanted to marry, what, well, actually, let me say it differently. Let me read the words, and then we're going to see is a profound machlokis rashi tosis over here. So literally it means, the Gemara says, the other possibility is, Literally, again, a woman would be set aside, so to speak. In other words, a woman would identify, she'd step forward, and she would, be set, as, she would set aside herself. So the, we'll see what those words mean in just a moment. So look at Rashi, Yehudi ba'alma, ve'ein nizkakin lahen, isha in mis'ave, kemisha in lo isha. To which the Gemara says something amazing. They would marry them. Rav, Rav Nachman, they'd come to Shchensev or to, what was the other place? Darshish, and they would marry these women. I one second, but if you right, if you come into town and you marry her, I both say, what's the halacha? What's the halacha? 
there's no relations for seven days, so how would this help? To which the Yemar I'll tell you how it would help. Rashi says, say, can't compare someone who has bread in his basket to someone who doesn't have bread in his basket. In other words, both say, the knowledge that they had a wife when they came to these places, even though, again, relations would not be permitted, was enough to quiet the Yitzhahara. According to Rashi, what they were doing was they were taking preventative steps here in order, in order to just quiet the Yitzhahara. So if Rav, Rav Nachman, if they say, I know I have an outlet for relations. It's true. It's not right now. It's not this second. It would have to be seven days from now. But I know that that outlet is there. The knowledge that I could satisfy that desire in a permitted way is enough to quiet the fires of the Yitzhahara. So in fact, according to Rashi, according to Rashi, there was a marriage even though, again, it was a marriage that could not be consummated, but that was enough to go ahead and take care of the Eight Sahara. That's Rashi. If you look at Tosis, quickly, Tosis says, Yehudi Rashi, lo ella anyone. So remember again, as Rashi already points out, that this was a marriage that could not be consummated. We already spoke about this before, because of Dam, because of Dam Chimud. Right? So, so even though technically speaking, a marriage could take place, right? it could not be consummated. <coughs> Rather again, what would happen, even though it could not be consummated, they could live together, says the Gemara, but that's not true. The Gemara says, V'hikshari, so I will say, so again, if the whole idea was that this was an arrangement in order to go ahead and quiet the Yitzhahara, so how is the arrangement beneficial if at the end of the day the relationship cannot be consummated? To which the Gemara says, My pas basalo ika, miu yeshlomar, kevan deshari laachar zayin, pas basalo karinabe. So I will say, so here, Tosis is just explaining Rashi a little bit more. Even, so this was a marriage that could not be consummated. How was it pas bisalo? It was pas bisalo because again, he knows after seven days it can't be consummated. So the knowledge that ultimately, again, is a permissible outlet, albeit seven days away, is enough to quiet the Yitzhahara. Va'ot hikshu, Tosis here brings up another related issue, which I will say, this means this would be a chupas nida. A chupas nida. If a man and woman get married and the woman is in nida, so again, you can get married when a woman is in nida, but there's an interesting halachic wrinkle on this, which is there's an isr yichud. There's an isr yichud. See, I both say, normally, when a woman is in nida, there's no isr yichud between husband and wife when a woman is in, when a woman is in nida, which I both say is interesting because generally the isr yichud applies to anyone who is ushered to you as an erva. Well, when a woman is in Nida, she's an erva. So why is there no isr yicha between a husband and a wife when the wife is in Nida? So again, the Gemara says, because since she's going to be permitted to him, there's no concern about ultimately, again, them coming to transgress in a yichud situation. But that only applies once a husband and a wife have consummated their relationship. But before they consummate their relationship, if there's a chupas nida, and again, I will say it happens, it happens, and it's a little bit of an awkward situation for the chas and the kala in the beginning, but if the husband and wife get married, there is an iser yichud when they get married until they are able to consummate their relationship. So the Gemara says over here, I don't understand. You're making this sound like it's pas besal, okay? They can't have relations, but, but they're married, 
and the knowledge that they can have an intimate relationship, albeit seven days from now, is enough to quiet the fires of the Yitzhara. But there's an Isra Yichud if he marries her when she's in Ida. To which the Yitzhara Parakama Dixulis, Misha Pirsi Ishto Nida, Vilobal, Hu Yoshin bin Hanoshim, the Ishto Yishina bin Hanoshim, Lachi Pirishri, the Chiamrinon man Habilioma, Lo Amri man Habilioma li Boil, Eli Yahudi Baalma, the Chavan Shay Omri Lohan. Well, say it's very interesting. To which Tosas posits that at the end of the day, there were never actual marriages that take place. But rather, again, what? There were potential, there was, it was Yichud. In other words, Yichud means that when they would come to town, Rav and Rav Nachman would identify, right? Would, would meet someone who they could potentially marry. Did they actually marry? Did they actually marry? Sounds like according to Tosas, the answer to that is no. But ultimately, again, the potential to be married and the potential to have a permitted outlet for this desire was enough to go ahead and quiet the Yitzhahara in this particular regard. Which I will say tells us something, a number of incredible takeaways from this Gemara. First of all, I will say that to recognize that everyone struggles with their taivas, right? Everyone struggles with their desires. If, if it happened to Rav and Rav Nachman, Ultimately, again, then how much more so to regular people, to regular people, and I both say, furthermore, to be fully aware of one's, one's we'll call it um, spiritual weaknesses, or, or to be fully aware of one's moral weaknesses, and ultimately, again, to take proactive steps to bolster those weaknesses. Because often if we allow ourselves to find ourselves in a way of temptation, by the time I'm already there, it's already too late. It's already too late. Nine out of ten times, if I'm already in the way of temptation, I'm going to lose that battle. But if I take proactive steps to prevent myself from getting into a compromising position to begin with, then I have the ability to overcome that desire, to overcome that taiva, and to be successful as well. All right, so we'll stop over here. We'll pick up the answer with the new Mishnah tomorrow.